0: This episode touches on a subject that could be potentially upsetting or even triggering to some. If you would prefer to sit this episode out, we totally understand. You can still keep up to date with the IoT podcast on LinkedIn or subscribe to our newsletter at www.theiotpodcast.com. Please make sure to take care of yourself and we will see you again soon.
1: Welcome to the IoT podcast show. I'm your host, Tom White. Today, we are joined by Chris Slee. Chris is the founder and CPO at AWH, a Ohio-based software engineering firm celebrating its 26th year in business. Chris has been instrumental in a number of projects over his 30-year career and has built over 4,500 applications. Chris is also the CTO at Include Health, a venture that he has started alongside Google I.O. Welcome to the podcast show, Chris.
0: Hey, great being here. Thanks.
1: You're you're welcome. Can Can you start by just explaining a little bit about your background and how it is that
0: you came to found AWH? I, I can. Uh, the uh, <clears throat> the story happened a long time ago because uh, we've been we've been out there for about 26, 27 years now. Um, my background. I ended up as the global information architect for a chemical company called Borden Chemical. Um, they don't exist anymore, but that was not my problem. Uh, so, but while I had that job, um, so my job was essentially to, to travel around the world um, to our manufacturing plants and um, make sure they're connected and you know do those kind of things. Uh, It was the early 90s, and uh, my brother um, came back from the military and said, hey, I was looking for you on the Internet, and I was like, what's that? And so um, then he was like, so he showed it, you know, he was like, oh, okay. And this was the time when uh, people really didn't have dial-up connections. The Internet, you know, didn't really exist. You had Delphi and some other systems out there, you know, CompuServe. And uh, so we decided to make an ISP. So. Oh, uh, wow. you know, racks of, of modems and, and that kind of thing and phone lines. And, and we started out in sort of rural Ohio, um, because there was, you know, there were ISPs in large cities, but not out in the country. And, uh, we ended up, uh, ended up hearing about, uh, you know, Roadrunner and Time Warner and high speed internet to your house and decided to sell that business, but then kept our consulting business. And, uh, so that was the the mid to late 90s. We, we ended up then doing a lot of e-commerce work for Microsoft. So at one, one point we had done, um, I think, uh, nine of their 11 e-commerce sites we ran and built and that kind of thing. So we built a product and took it to market and did an exit in the early 2000s. And had just been doing consulting ever since then for clients, building digital and uh, IoT projects for them and helping them take it Correct. to the market and do exits. So...
1: Crikey, that's uh, that's an extensive history. It's, it's it's often funny when people start talking about the early days of the internet, and obviously Tim Berners Lee being a British guy. Uh, I actually don't remember anything pre dial-up, right? So, oh yeah. In fact, I think I think the first I think it was CompuServe, which was the first ISP that we had here in the UK. But I remember coming in on a 28 uh, bit line and I yeah. remember dialing into that before 56k became the norm um but but it doesn't go back I I had
0: rooms of uh digi boards connected to modems with blinking lights and you know people dialing over the internet yeah it was it was it was a fun time way back then so yeah 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 yeah
1: but it's almost come full circle right when we're talking about IOT because the need to transmit you know a lot of information really isn't there right you know you don't need that much um, and it and it's interesting that you know you've merged back into the space with, with the business and that's, oh, yeah. you know it's it's fantastic, isn't it? You know, um, yeah, yeah. what what is it? What, what is it that brought you more into IoT? than obviously starting back in uh, you know in the in, in the early days of the internet.
0: Well, the uh, the the every software developer who, who who writes code wonders what it's like to build a piece of hardware, right? I mean, that's sort of like a uh, you know, there's there's if you look at sort of the mountain of developers, the mountain of developers, you know, from a bell curve perspective, the majority of them are in the middle and they're writing some sort of, you know, web application, mobile application, those kind of things. Um, I, I would say almost all that I talk to have some sort of enviousness for people who understand how to do firmware and make hardware things work, and how to make a, you know, a solenoid fire, and you know, the, the fact that a piece of code can control some real life thing. Um, they, they just never get the chance to experience that and uh, so as we sort of went through uh, you know building products for customers over time we ran into that more and more and so we we had a team specialized in that particular aspect not only the firmware but also the connectivity and you know whether you're doing amp plus or bluetooth or or you know IP connections or radio and and sort of understanding, you know, all the different ways you can solve real-world problems with a with a piece of hardware, beyond just someone running a web application, uh, is a really exciting space for developers to get into. So yeah, yeah, I completely
1: get it. Yeah, completely, yeah. completely understand. Um, Chris, so obviously we're entering into a world where devices and objects are becoming more and more connected. Clearly, uh, you know, and then you know this is what the whole show is about. Right. Uh, uh, Companies are innovating new digital projects every day. Um, what What is the most innovative sort of use case you have developed and have seen companies develop for IoT? I'd be curious to understand that.
0: Yeah. Um, and, I, and I sort of take that question into uh, what's my favorite. Because, uh, you know, that's sort of how I wrap my world, right? Um, we had... Uh, a, so we do a lot of commercialization, obviously, if we're, if we're doing you know, product development and engineering and, and go-to-market strategies. We do a lot of commercialization. And it, here in Columbus, we, we have Nationwide Children's Hospital, which is a large research hospital. And they do a lot of commercialization work. And, and one of the projects that we did from them for them, well, it, and it was actually uh, um, uh, on a Netflix uh, documentary called Babies. Um, but, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, one of the projects we did from them was th- this concept of in an in, in infant in neonatal intensive care needs to hear an um, in interaction with its mother um, because it's had that this whole time. But a premature baby doesn't have that because the mother's not there all the time. So then to, we helped them build a system with Ohio State University that was essentially looked like a dinosaur egg. It's called, the, in fact, that the early name was a dino egg. And that actually went in an isolette. And the, when the baby would use a pacifier, we would have a transducer send a Bluetooth signal. And then that egg would be able to play the mother's voice at a decibel level, low you know, safety for an infant in that space. But that way, the baby still had that connectivity with its mother in that isolette and uh it's projects like that that have a real impact that you know that you go okay you know this is really helping someone that we really like to do
1: yeah i i I think that's fantastic and it's often a thing that i say with guests on the show that you know my journey in tech has come from entertainment doing a lot of work in the pay tv field and Advancements in that field from video compression, audio, etc., is, is fantastic, uh, but ultimately it's just TV; it's just entertainment, <laughs> uh, and you can't change that. Whereas with IoT, when you start looking at sensors and you start looking at people that are, as you as, as you mentioned there, around healthcare, we've had people talking about wildfire early detection systems. There's a really feel good feeling there, isn't there, that you're actually doing yeah. something that is is genuinely.
0: Uh, wholesome, and you know what better feeling is there than that we, uh, we, we, when we look at when we look at projects that we want to take on as an organization we, we really have two sort of uh, ramps one of them is um, it had that this particular project has a uh, sort of a definite impact on somebody 's life you know or a community of people 's life right it, it, or the other the other projects we'd like to do are very technically challenging type of never been done before you know moonshot how would you even do that and when you can sort of combine those into projects where you're getting both sides of that equation that those are really the the projects that the team gets jazzed up about yeah yeah absolutely
1: so what's your what's your thoughts on ai then chris so in terms of the most prominent changes that ai has brought forward in in software products and, and applications
0: yeah so um like, for instance, that first example, right? There's no AI there. It's it's a, I'm, I'm getting a transducer signal. Okay, I'm going to go do some action. I'm going to record how long we're playing, you know, those kind of things. Um, the uh, other IoT projects um, that we've been in, um, the, the AI component is about um, what are you doing with that particular data set that you're getting? You know, if I'm streaming data from an IoT device over a period of time, you know, there's the easy sort of low-hanging. Well, you could do sort of maintenance predictability, and you can do you know run times and those kind of things. It's like those are those are I, I think um, the bread and butter of of sort of predictive AI inside the IoT space. Um, but one of the things that that we're looking at now is understanding sort of the um, the AI and the machine learning, um, not only on predictive maintenance and those kind of things, but actually how can it come in and help somebody uh, do work? So if, or uh, understand something. So we have a, a concept out there um, of, with a client that we're working on, that is um, if I have a, a mobile device and I can work with a clinician and, and it's just listening to our conversation, like this conversation you or I are having right now, um, uh, we worked with uh, Children's Hospital out of Cincinnati, Ohio uh, to build a model that then could uh, take that, transcribe it through Watson, get the NLP back and then start doing marker scorings for suicidiation so are the things you're saying uh, starting to trip some of the NLP around you know, suicide uh, you know, thought processes and those kind of things um, and then we it, were able to expand that into baseline. So let's say at the beginning of a school year, we can bring students in, have conversations with them, that system could rank them, you know, and then over a period of time, as we have more communication with them, we can understand the changes in their mental aspects, you know, and then we were able to expand that into depression and some other types of uh, um, uh scoring mechanisms that allowed us to then understand how is this person doing mentally over a large sort of segment of uh, mental you know, illnesses. But that all came from being able to build models that understand, you know, language processing and what what is the person saying and cadence of speech. And you know, there's about 503 separate uh, markers that are involved in in those model outputs that then we start to use. And, and that's just all based on you know having a phone nearby.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, we had someone on recently, um, Yang Yong Boon from Edge Impulse talking about machine learning and, and embedded, right? And, and how traditionally they you know, haven't been coupled together. But when you talk about AI, NLP for suicide prevention, basically, right? Yeah, and understand and understanding how that can actually trigger early points. Yeah, I mean, it kind of takes my words away, right? Because it's such a it's such a a massive cause and and something that unfortunately troubles a lot of people both in North America here in the UK, but also quite quite young people as well, right? You know, And uh, there's a big problem with that, you know, going into schools, etc. Um, it's just it, it's a it's a wonderful thing to be able to try and help and use this for good. Um, people talk about tech for good, um, but I think it's overused sometimes. Um, but that really is a is a real poignant case, isn't it?
0: Yeah, we we are uh, um, you know we're, we're trying, to, like I said, you know the types of projects that we'd like to get in, you know involved in. <clears throat> most of them are predicated on the fact that it it's an actual human you know impact um and yeah. we really like those kind of projects yeah
1: and we like what you know we like working and speaking to people that are doing that type yeah. of thing as well you mentioned obviously watson right which is which is ibm's isn't yeah. it is that right that, that was ibm so, that, that was doing yeah.
0: nlp tra- that was doing translation for us yeah. yeah
1: so just on that note of sort of you know quantum computing and things like that you know uh, you know i are probably going a little bit off course here but it's taking me on a bit of a tangent um what, what are your what are your thoughts what are your thoughts on that in terms of is this is this a limiting factor in and a key challenge in AI and machine learning that we need to kind of overcome the the use of you know vast amount of uh, processing power and, and you know yottabytes of information is this is this something that uh, you know is is trailing the vision of some of these projects that we see in machine learning etc. Yeah,
0: um, I think in when when we have internal conversations about or, or um, like. Uh, I'm the host of a Columbus Machine Learners group where people come together and talk about different, you know, aspects of ML and its application. Um, the the sort of direction that's going is we, people have this thought that a, a machine learning model is all encompassing; it does all kinds of different things. And, and what we've found is that the best way to deal with these is it's not one model. I'm actually building multiple models that pass data amongst themselves. So I get to componentize um, sort of the thinking, uh, and if you if you think to nature, like, even if you think that like the human brain, the human brain does not do one thing; it's compartmentalized, and each compartment is managing different parts. Of you, right. So our our vision is managed in a different place than our frontal cortex, which is managed in a different place than the things that control our autonomic systems. When you start thinking about machine learning, in that in that sort of venue is I don't need one master model what I need is to be able to compartmentalize and componentize those models and let them all talk back and forth together like a biological system really would uh, versus a massively trained model that can figure everything out on its own um, that that approach I think will always hit a computational boundary um, that you just couldn't do it where is is I would rather have, multiple models that are specialized that are dealing with specific things uh communicating amongst each other and, and again i think that's that's a more biological approach to to solving that problem mm.
1: no i agree i agree and yeah and, it, and, it, and it's nice to know that you're involved with this you know actively within the community you run this you run this group uh and so do so you say it was the ohio ml Middle columbus group, right? yeah the columbus, columbus machine sorry. learners yeah and, and and are you doing that online at the moment because of obviously the pandemic? Yeah, because? it's a meetup. It's all online at this point, so it's, cool. it's all fun.
0: And, and it's on, okay, and can
1: it's people?
0: Ah, oh, okay. And yeah. it's on meetup.
1: Is it on meetupcom Com? people come and meetup. See that?
0: Yeah. So okay. Yeah, you yeah. can you can Google or a meet search. Now, funny yeah. how Google yeah. is just the term for searching. Uh, you, you yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, yeah. 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 Columbus, uh, Columbus, machine learners, and we once a month we we get together and we either have a host or or well we we either have a presenter or. Um, We'll do a breakout session on, you know, you know, TensorFlow versus, you know, PyTorch or, you know, any of those kinds of things. But so it's really from from businesses sort of having a conversation about what is machine learning to engineers and data scientists. And so we we sort of bridge that spectrum back and forth. Uh, So anyone's welcome to go. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's great. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because meetup.com has been fantastic for actual physical meetups, but what we've seen a lot recently is that you've got people dropping by right yeah because it doesn't necessarily need to be around the corner anymore um it'll be interesting when you see people back in you know in a physical space how many of these people would take the take the journey you know and uh, and actually go over there
0: we had we, we had about 10 first-time people last night at that at that event oh really and they, they were not in columbus they were people in from pittsburgh and right. there were there were some people from texas and it was just because now the you know the internet is sort of an equalizer. From a well, if I if I want to learn about some topic, I can go to all kinds of different places that I'm not geographically bound to to go learn about that. Yeah, topic. yeah, yeah. Well, it's
1: it's the quality of the content, the quality of the speakers. You know, um, and and from small acorns, you know, it exactly, over, it could be it could be really big. So you know, fingers fingers crossed. But we'll talk about socials near the end of the show. Yep. Um, Chris, I want I want to um, I want to understand a little bit more about Include Health. So this is a, a new venture that you've started. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about that and how uh, machine learning and algorithms are working with Include
0: Health. Could you talk yeah, about that, that? That is a great story. So um, Include Health, uh, I got involved with. Uh, I met the founder uh, Ryan Eater about six years ago. Uh, He did a a, his his thesis coming out of design school uh, engineering in Cincinnati on um, On a a functional trainer and and by that I mean a 900 pound machine, right? He watched a guy in a wheelchair go up to some regular uh, weightlifting equipment with just this bag of accessories and you know trying to do uh, sort of weightlifting and turn that into his design thesis and he kept that over a period of time started winning awards for the design and it was a like i said it's 900 pound functional trainer that is um neutrally balanced so you don't have to have fingers or even arms to be able to work out using this functional trainer it was wheelchair accessible you know high accessibility Um, i got involved when we wanted to cloud enable that so someone could uh schedule a workout and then it would sort of tell you how to set the machine up for bench press or how to set the machine up for flies or how to set the machine up for, you know, whatever you're doing. And then the, the the machine was smart enough to change solenoids and adjust the weight stack for you and do all those kinds of things. So you didn't have to do really anything except walk up to the machine, you know, RFID into the machine. It would find out who you were, come back with your current scheduled workout and then work you through it. And then it would take that data and then it would store it. And then we would give you sort of long term results and trending of how you were doing awesome
1: um that that is yeah i'm just envisioning it now i'm surprised no one's done that before right smart gyms you know yeah Uh, uh,
0: so what's interesting is that that machine um so that's that our target market was predominantly into healthcare and recovery right physical therapy occupational therapy um the then what happened was the, the organizations came in and said, "Hey, we, this this is awesome. We love the platform. We love the fact that our, our clinicians could come in and schedule, you know, therapy for you know you Tom, um, but we have other machines in 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 our floor besides just this one you know functional trainer. We've got leg press machines. We've got regular fly machines. We've got bikes. We've got skiers. We've got all kinds of other stuff going on." And sort of at the same time, we were dealing with the Air Force who wanted to use this from a performance perspective to track um, uh, capabilities of people in their performance fitness labs, right? Because we could do that too. So we ended up building a, a sensor platform that we'd tie and we could we, we actually have sensors that we could put on any piece of, of physical exercise equipment and um, either through LIDAR or gyroscope Uh, or in accelerometers right so essentially I can stick it onto a leg press machine and as you do leg presses I can count your reps I know your range of motion Um, I can tell you know uh, from a resistance perspective how much you know work you're doing what's your velocity all those kinds of sort of things but now we can wire up any piece of equipment in a facility we did that essentially by having a an ipad nearby so that became your screen so you can watch the you know rom gauge and rep counting and it would tell you what you're supposed to do on this machine and you know those kind of things um yeah. so now then we have this functional trainer we had this iot platform that got wired up all that data then was streaming back to our our cloud platform um, and then we ended up doing some commercialization with Children's Hospital out of Cincinnati on uh, something called Animate, which is um, they had noticed a problem where um, girls who were athletes were getting ACLs um, higher rates than boys who were doing similar kinds of sports and they wanted to know why, so research sort of kicked out. And it turns out girls land differently when they jump in the air than boys do. They land with their knees in which creates more stress than boys who land with their sort of knees straight. Um, So then they started, you know, sort of uh, trying to understand that problem and realize that they they need coaches needed to be able to train girls to do activities differently than boys. Um, And then they, some additional research was done. So this is over a period of, you know, half a decade. And um, what, what sort of came out of that was, you know, understanding that there's a third type of memory that we have, you know, everyone talks about short term, long term, but there's something called procedural memory. And procedural memory is, um, if you've ever learned how to ride a bike, you will know how to ride a bike. And it's that one moment that it sort of clicks in your head that you understand the mechanics of riding a bike, you'll never forget. So you can not ride a bike for 30 years and within seconds, you'll be riding the bike again. And that's a, that's a special kind of a memory that humans have called procedural memory. If you can train somebody to activate their procedural memory, then you can train them to, uh, jump and land correctly. Um, what you can't do, however, is if you've ever tried to describe how to ride a bike to someone, you realize no words can ever uh let them understand that feeling when your procedural memory sort of clicks in right mm-hmm. it's sort of like when you go to play golf and they give you like 50 60 sort of work on this and change this and rotate here and you know move this and sweep through and you know backswing and and then they then then the instructor will look at you and go just forget all that and just swing at the ball it's yeah. like well which one is it do i need 50 instructions or am i just going to swing at the ball right so um the they um, they had a 40 mocap camera system and they recorded people doing activities. And then um, what they did is they distilled that down into a simple concept that says, hey, um, I'm going to give you a square and, I, and they were using hollow lenses. So we've got a square in front of you. And as you do the activity, if you don't deform the square, you're doing the activity correctly. But I'm not going to tell you what the activity is or how to do the activity. Now, we may go, well, the activity is squats let's say for instance, but I'm not going to um, tell you how to do a squat. You just start moving. And if you don't deform the square, you're doing it correctly. And so you, through trial and, and sort of, you know, you realize, okay, if I do it like this, I'm not deforming the square. And then you're actually doing the, the movement correctly. No, one's told you how to do it and your procedural memory. will lock that in and you will do that correctly every time from that point in the future. So then th- we did a commercialization and include health with them to be able to take that out into the, into the market for physical therapy. The, um, uh, we had, uh, essentially Azure connect cameras. We wired them up. We built the software and then the pandemic, hit, and we realized, a no one's buying functional trainers. B no one's buying sensor platforms. Cause we don't know when we're ever going to be in a gym again. And no one was buying cameras that you had to ship to people's homes for remote patient care. So we, we transitioned completely over to machine learning models and camera-based uh, input that didn't have LiDAR. So this was a 2D camera system like our webcams. Um, and through the webcam, we built enough models that now I can watch you and I can tell you what your range of motion is and I can tell you what how, how flexed your knee is and what angle your knee is at just by looking at a camera.
1: Mm.
0: And in fact, uh, Today, as it turns out, at Google I.O., they're announcing a new model that we've been working with them on over the past eight months. Um, and that is part of our commercialization. But we've been working with Google Research on training that those sets of models and um, commercializing the output of those models uh, into our platform. So we now have a platform where we can fire up any webcam over the web Sort of, you know, like you know what we're doing right now. But I can want, I can tell you exercises to do. I can watch you do those exercises. I can count your reps. I can look at your range of motion of all your joints. I can give you warnings if you're not doing it correctly, and then I can store that all back for the clinician to be able to do that. And that's how we're going to be able to help people um, progress, whether fall prevention or knee and hip replacements or other physical therapies in people's homes without having to send devices to them, they can use any device they have to be able to do their yeah. therapy.
1: That, yeah, that's fantastic. And I was just thinking that, actually, because it can be somewhat perhaps prohibitive to work on LiDARs, but everyone's got webcams, right? Exactly. So in terms, in terms of adoption and engagement, maybe it's a good thing, you know? Um, yeah. Because you're going to get more people using it and more people working with, working with you on that. And uh, I think sometimes we can overlook the simple webcam and what we can do from that um another example of that is um i know there's a few apps out there at the moment that um will use a camera phone to identify potential cancerous yep. um moles and what have you right yep. um and infections of the skin um and i think i think that's a really poignant point that you've made there that you know often in in the race for bleeding edge hardware and tech sometimes we can overlook things that are already there that we can use, but perhaps we just haven't thought about it yet.
0: Yeah, and I and I think you know, going back to a part of our previous conversation around, um, you know, the the advantage of machine learning and artificial intelligence, it it's not necessarily to replace things; it's to um, enhance and augment, right? So, um, if if we can understand someone's body position in a in a camera, I can use that then and then understand is that person standing or sitting or laying down I can use that then to understand and you know I can ask you to stand straight and then do a do a squat and then you know trigonometry can tell me what your you know angle of your knees are and you know all those kinds of things that a clinician would want to be able to see to see if you're recovering correctly and going through your phases of recovery and yeah some it, the 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 pandemic really sort of pushed us into look, we're not going to send hardware to people, so we need to be able to go to where they are on the devices that they have, and what's the way to do that? And that's really where ML shines.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's been seen several times with with other businesses from a logistics standpoint. You know, companies sending hardware to people, laptops and what have you, now there's a lot more VPNs, there's a lot more secure connections. Um, because you don't necessarily need to do that. And I think there's an environmental impact on that sometimes as well, right? You know, uh, you know, naming no names, but we know some businesses recently that have been shipping out tens of laptops from, from the UK out to, to Greece, uh, you know, for, for, for certain interim projects. And you, and you just think, would you really need to do that? You know, really, um, you know, you could do a remote build on there. Couldn't you, you could get it via a VPN, just a good. Fiber connection or what have you, and you be yeah. okay. Um, yeah. So,
0: yeah, I know I completely I, agree. I think sometimes people, uh, uh,
1: you know, have a hammer
0: in their hand and then everything has to be a nail because they know how to hammer a nail in place. But yeah. sometimes, you know, you want to start thinking about spot welding, or you know, some other way, right? Or maybe these things yeah. don't even need to be joined together, right? So yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah. You, you gotta, you gotta sometimes just go way back and sort of think about the problem solution that you're trying yeah. to do, and what's, well, what's well, the kudos state to you,
1: of yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm saying kudos to you guys, right, for working with Google yeah. on that. I mean, that's that's really impressive. Uh, you know, uh, clear, clearly it says a lot about the, the provenance and what you're doing and some of the ideas that you've had. So that's fantastic um we'd, you know we'd love to see what happens in the future within, uh, include help
0: yeah, yeah. um Google i o it'll be announced uh the, a little bit later today there'll be a, a little bit oh about, really yeah okay yeah.
1: okay oh amazing so at the time of recording it's the 18th of may for people listening to this so uh check back through the comments and, and have a look and you can see the uh, you can see the release so yeah congratulations on that thanks um Final question and I've really enjoyed having you on the sh- on the show Chris uh, what excites you so you know for the future of AI machine learning IOT and what is your view on this whole utopian dystopian view of, of the future where do you see it all going
0: um I, I do not have as a, a dystopian view of the future I, I really look at it as a positive thing and I you know we as humans go through paradigm shifts right and and we talk a lot about you know that you know when when cars came along what happened to the buggy builders and hay hay farmers and i mean th- there will be changes in how things work but on the other side of those changes is um society more capable better you know uh, there's some there's some uh question about uh you know would we have more leisure time or not or do we work more than in the past i think i think we all we we will do different things than we do now but i think that uh, there's an advantage to uh, building better tools. We have since the very beginning, since we learned how to make fire and then we learned how to chip flint and then we learned how to make you know, um, you know houses. And uh, we, we have always been on a, uh, on a continual progress of tool enhancement. And this is just another tool of enhancement along our, our evolutionary path. Yeah, yeah,
1: completely agree, completely agree. Chris, where can people find you online? Uh, social social media. Find out more about include health and other things that you're doing. Where should they look you up?
0: Um, yeah, so the the best place to find me is LinkedIn, Chris Lee on LinkedIn. Uh, and and while I while I uh, I sort of I, I sort of have a love hate with LinkedIn. I, I don't accept everyone's like oh hey let's connect. But if someone tells me hey I saw you on a podcast it was really good I want to talk to you about it I will definitely connect with you. Um, okay. The uh, the other side is uh, my my public retweeting uh, is Twitter, and it's just at Chrisley. Um So those are the, okay. those are really the two best places if you, if you want to have a chat to get hold of me.
1: And if you'd like to find out more about Chris and the ventures he's involved with, please check the comments below. Sign up to our newsletter for the latest releases of the IoT podcast show. Get involved in the conversation, and we hope to see you on the next episode.